Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Sarah Germain Lilly, and you are listening to our podcast episode, Unsecured and Dangerous. 11 years after Sandy Hook. And I'm J.W. Walker. How can safe storage laws change the landscape of gun violence in our country? Currently, firearms are the number one cause of death of children in the U.S. The majority of children killed by guns die from suicide or unintentional shootings. Currently, over 4 million children live in a home where a weapon is not secured. Unsecured weapons are the ones most often stolen and used in crimes. School shooters most often use weapons that they had access to at home. Education and gun safety programs can help raise awareness, but we need enforceable laws, as well as meaningful proportional penalties for those who are negligent and fail to keep their weapons safely stored. On our show, Gun Violence Prevention News, the 11th annual vigil for all survivors of gun violence brought historic gains for the gun violence prevention movement, including Senate votes and legislation sponsorship by Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer. Our in memoriam, Francesco Cochran Tama, age 17, who took his life with an unsecured weapon. In conversation, Radio Gag interviews Diana Cochran, mother of Francesco. Diana shares some experiences lobbying for Ethan's Law, a federal law for safe storage concurrent with the 11th Annual National Vigil for All Survivors in D.C., and Francesco's Law, a New York State bill that will extend the protections of safe storage to New York State children up to age 18. And now the gun violence prevention news from Radio Gag. In an historic week of victories for preventing gun violence, record numbers attended the 11th annual vigil for all survivors in Washington, D.C. The Center for American Progress once again hosted educational and planning meetings and seminars for gun violence prevention activists and especially survivors of gun violence who came to D.C to honor their loved ones with action. Lobbying efforts by a network of national organizations, including the Brady Campaign, Gifford's Gun Owners for Safety, and the Newtown Action Alliance, converged on elected representatives in their offices to push for votes on gun safety legislation. As a result, Democrats in the Senate, led by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, brought a package of gun safety bills, including the assault weapons ban and safe storage, or Ethan's law, to the Senate floor and the procedure called unanimous consent. Once on the floor, Republicans used the filibuster rules to keep the bills from coming to a vote. But to do this, they had to show Americans once and for all that they backed the gun industry over the rights of individuals to safety, and compensation for the harm of gun violence. And the echoes of victories continue, as today the Supreme Court refused to hear a challenge to Illinois' assault weapons ban. 
Here's the Brady statement. SCOTUS's second refusal to block Naperville, Illinois, and statewide assault weapons ban. Washington, D.C., December 14th, 2023. Today, for the second time, the Supreme Court denied a gun industry request to halt an assault weapons ban in Illinois and the ban on the commercial sale of assault weapons in the city of Naperville. Both bans were passed in response to the deadly mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park last year. The request was considered by the full Supreme Court, and no justice noted a dissent from the denial. The matter should now return to the district court for further proceedings. Brady, a national gun violence prevention organization, serves as counsel for the city of Naperville in the lawsuit. Brady President Chris Brown stated, the Supreme Court's refusal to block this ban is a victory not just for the state of Illinois and the city of Naperville, but for all communities who have been held hostage by the gun industry. The gun industry has lined its pockets by perpetuating one of the deadliest public health crises in American history. Just like Big Tobacco and the creators of opioids, they have a pattern of putting profits over people. And just like those companies were held accountable, we're getting momentum to put them in their place. And finally, the Biden-Harris administration released a fact sheet on recommendations for state laws to reduce injuries and death from firearms. Here are some of the recommendations. Establishing a state office of gun violence prevention. Investing in evidence-informed solutions to prevent and respond to gun violence, including community violence interventions, crime gun intelligence centers, and the implementation of extreme risk protection orders. Strengthening support for survivors and victims of gun violence. Reinforcing responsible gun ownership, including by requiring safe storage of firearms and reporting of lost and stolen firearms. Strengthening gun background checks, including by enacting universal background checks legislation and removing barriers to completing enhanced background checks. And holding the gun industry accountable, including by banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines and enacting firearm-specific liability laws to ensure that victims of gun violence have their day in court. Gays Against Guns is inspired by this work and congratulates the gun violence prevention movement's effective action as a David against the Goliath of the U.S. gun industry. Big fuck yeah to everyone who has worked so hard, survivors, activists, legislators, organizations, and ordinary citizens exercising their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now our in memoriam Francesco Cochran Tama. Radio Gag is grateful to Diana Cochran for sharing this in memoriam for her son, Francesco. My son, Francesco, was born in London on the 28th of January, 2004. He was conceived by IVF with an anonymous donor from South Africa, as he had two mothers. I was the first person in this world to see him and as I looked into his eyes, I felt I was looking straight into his soul and I had a very strong sense 
that we had met before. I immediately fell madly in love with this gorgeous little baby. Francesco was easy to love and easy to look after, and as he grew, his kindness and curiosity for life became apparent very quickly. He was abundantly loved by family and friends and especially animals. When he was one, we all moved from London to Southampton, New York. My older son started college at Princeton and life seemed perfect. We had tired of city life and the Hamptons with its beautiful beaches and some culture seemed the perfect place for a young boy to grow up in. Francesco adored language and being bilingual, as he was half Italian, he had a natural affinity for literature. As a small boy, he could easily recite Rudyard Kipling, and he would shriek with laughter reading T.S. Eliot's poems about cats, especially Macavity, a cunning feline criminal con artist. At an early age, Francesco had shown a gift for music and started learning the violin at five. He went on to play for the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra and played at both Carnegie Hall and the Lincoln Center. He loved to travel, and as his other mother and I had parted ways, retaining joint custody, I had the privilege of enjoying him all to myself on our family holidays. We traveled extensively throughout Europe skiing, which we both loved, and visiting most of the major cities where we could explore museums and the culture and food together. His favorite painting was Starry Night by Van Gogh. Our holidays together were magical, and I couldn't believe how lucky I was to have this dream of a child. At Our Lady of the Hamptons, his elementary school in Southampton, Francesco would regularly boast to his friends of how lucky he was having two mumps. The fact that we no longer lived together for Francesco added another bonus, as I think he secretly felt he got a lot more attention and spoiling, and he did. Francesco was very popular at school with both his peers and teachers. He skipped a year because of his aptitude for both English and math. His natural curiosity made learning easy for him. Because it had become clear that he was gifted, he moved to the Stony Brook Prep School for middle school. It was 50 miles away, but had the best reputation on Long Island for academics. There he was able to enjoy his passion for sailing and again was extremely popular and known for his absurd sense of humor. Because Francesco was doing so well at school, I explored the idea of him spending the last two years at Winchester College in the UK, one of the top 20 high schools in the world. I remember discussing the idea with him over a lunch at a restaurant in Hampton Bays overlooking the water. We already knew the acceptance rate was about 1.5% with over a thousand kids trying for the 12 places. He looked at me earnestly and said, Mommy, I'll strike a deal with you. If I get into Winchester, I want you to take me to Dublin. I met a girl online called Georgia and she lives in Ireland. Will you take me to see her? Immediately I said yes. And of course he got into Winchester. So off we went to Ireland to meet Georgia and her parents. I did not at that stage know Francesca was bisexual, but Georgia has since told me they shared that in common. He was thrilled with his first girlfriend and they both looked and acted like peas in a pod. It was clear that Francesca was in love. 
When Francesco arrived at boarding school in England, he immediately bonded with his roommate, Giovanni, who was also Italian. They were nicknamed the Italian Stallions, and according to friends, were joined at the hip. The first thing Francesco told Gio, who was straight, was that he had two moms and was bisexual. This was literally of no consequence at all to any of the boys. Francesco was studying maths, English, and economics, but as the pandemic arrived, the workload there became increasingly more difficult, especially for the new boys. Francesco was used to being top of his class, and suddenly he was floundering, so we took the decision that summer to take him out of his school in England and for him to return to Stony Brook for his final year. When he returned to school on Long Island, he felt safe telling his friends he was bisexual, as it had gone down so well in Europe. Unfortunately, not everyone accepted his sexuality with open arms, and it was there that he was ridiculed, gossiped about, and derided. Even the school counselor there was homophobic. We went out for dinner together two nights before Francesco died. He was very chatty and excited about his upcoming interview at Amherst. He had just got a 1520 SAT score, and with his gift for sailing and music as well being a straight-A student, honor student. He was destined for a top college. The next day I drove him in the early morning to his school 50 miles away. He turned around and waved at me smiling and saying, I love you, mommy. That was the last time I ever saw him. Francesco took his life two days later at two in the morning on a moonlit night on Little Plains Beach with an unsecured shotgun he obtained from his other home. He was 17 years old. He was a beautiful, loving, kind old soul. There was no indication he would ever take his life. I will forever treasure every wonderful second I spent with my very precious child. This in memoriam was contributed by Diana Cochran, the mother of Francesco. Changing the laws and culture around the age of access to deadly weapons can save so much suffering. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show. If you want to see the passage of laws regarding safe storage, please contact your local, state, and federal representatives and urge them to pass this essential legislation, such as Ethan's Law and Francesco's Law. And next, our interview with Diana Cochran, mom, gun violence survivor, and activist for gun safety. Welcome, listeners, to Radio Gag. Today is the 11th anniversary of the school shooting, the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And we're here with Diana Cochran. She is the mother of Francesco. Francesco took his own life with an unsecured weapon that he had access to. Diana, welcome to Radio Gag. Thank you, Sarah. Diana, could you tell us about Francesco? Um, yes, I'm, it's only recently I've really been able to talk about it because it's been devastating. And not just for me, but for my whole family and all his friends. Um, so um, Francesco was, if the, uh, you know, and obviously as a mother, nothing can, can, nothing can prepare you for the loss of a child. It just, it's the worst thing I could imagine happening to anybody. 
And I never imagined it could happen to me, especially in the way he died um, with a gun. And um, Francesco was just, well, if there ever is a dream child, I, I had him. <laughs> he was, I mean, he really was. Uh, and he, he, um, he was born in London and um, I'm gay. And so um, he had two mothers and um, we decided to move to the Hamptons in New York. Um, as my, my, when Francesco was one, and um, that was, I guess, yeah, it was about 20, uh, well, Francesco was 17 when he died. So, and that was two years ago. So it was, it was a long time ago. And um, I really came to the States because I wanted better opportunities for my children. And that was probably the primary reason. My older son had just got into Princeton and and my younger son just loved, he just adored the Hamptons. He loved the sea, he loved the ocean. He loved, he was a great sailor. You know, he was very gifted academically. He was a straight A honor student. And prior to that, he had also um, played the violin uh, where he'd um, played for the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra and he'd played Carnegie Hall twice and the Lincoln Center. He was just very loved by all his teachers, by the kids, and he was a beautiful boy. And um, anyway, at uh, 16, we decided, because he was so clever, that he should try for this school in England. And it was had a, like a one and a half percent acceptance rate. There were over a thousand kids trying for 12 places. And um, I never thought he'd get in, actually, but he did get in. This is Winchester College in England, which it's like a feeder school for Ivies and uh, Oxford and Cambridge. Anyway, it, unfortunately, because it was during the pandemic, he was having to get up one term and he couldn't go back to England one term and he had to get up for remote learning at three in the morning. And he, I said to him, Francesca, anytime you want to stop this, you know, it's okay. You, because I could never do that at that age, at, you know, at 16 years old, there was no way I'd be getting up at three in the morning to start work studying. And, but you know, he did it and he said, no, I love it. It's okay. I can then relax afterwards. I'm fine with it. So anyway, it became apparent though, um, that he couldn't stay there um, because it was too difficult, this remote learning and also and also the academics were very, very tough on kids during the pandemic and especially at a school that was so demanding. So he decided to bring him back to a school in Long Island, which is the Stony Brook Prep School, which is actually 50 miles from my home. So it's a long trek every day to take him there. And um, he really, he was very popular at that school. He'd been at the school before, but I think what he didn't realize um, because he, I did, actually didn't know because being a teenager, he didn't tell me everything, but I didn't know he was bisexual. And he had told his friends at, at Winchester in England that he was, had two mums and he was bisexual. And um, it was of literally of no consequence. No, nobody cared. It was like saying, oh, I'm a tennis player or I'm a musician, whatever. No, nobody could care less. And so when he went back, had to go back to the school in Long Island. Um, he um, also thought it would be perfectly safe for him to go and tell his friends about his sexuality, but 
you know, although not all of his friends were not welcoming, only a few actually decided that, to bully my son. And I knew nothing about that. But obviously it had got to him and um, he was basically being ridiculed and taunted about his sexuality. And I, again, I had, he didn't tell me. And, um, you know, one night, um, it was not at my home, it was at his other parents' home, because we had, by that stage, we had joint custody. And um, he, um, he decided um, to get very drunk, which he never did. He was not used to alcohol. He had, might have the odd beer or something, because in Europe, you're allowed to drink, you know, from a much earlier age. But he was not used to alcohol and uh, drugs, nothing like that. But he obviously was so distressed by what was happening at school, the way he, you know, the things he was being called and named and the slurs. Mm. And this was not something he was used to because everything in his life, you know, everybody had welcomed uh, diversity and, you know, people of different sexual orientation, gender. There was no issues ever, ever at home. Um, and uh, not around my friends either. So this was just happening at his school. And um, anyway, one, one night, um, his other uh, mother was not in for the night, unfortunately, and um, he decided to go off to the beach in Southampton, Little Plains Beach with his, with his shotgun and a whole load of alcohol in his knapsack. And he went on his bike and he was he was FaceTiming, he got onto the beach, it was a warm October evening and it was a full moon. Um, he was FaceTiming his, his friends and initially, apparently, he was in a very good mood and he was making jokes the way he always used to. And, um, and then I guess the more he drank, his mood changed and he decided to go skinny dipping in the freezing Atlantic Sea. And that's when I'm assuming his mood from having talked to therapists and people, his mood would have completely dropped then after not being used to alcohol and then being in freezing cold water. And he had a gun with him. And I don't know why he bought the gun. I don't know if I'll ever know why he bought the gun. I don't know if he'd intended to take his life. I don't know if he bought the gun because he thought he needed protection. But he had basically he had access to an unsecured gun at 17. And anyway, at two in the morning, um, he took his life. And um, so, um, so, that is so, so hard. And you're so brave to tell his story and let us know something about him i really feel this is this is a way that i can know a little bit about this marvelous child so thank yeah. you. well he did i mean i'm grateful for every day i spent with him because we actually never even for even as a teenager we really didn't have disagreements we didn't he was never difficult he was an incredible child and that's why it's even more confusing and um now because i've got involved in um gun lobbying and um and 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 i'm and i'm now started a foundation in his name i know of all the statistics and unfortunately his story isn't so unusual because 
you know, 30% of kids killed are from, apparently are from suicide and, um, and mostly within a um, suicide from a gun where a parent or, or a family member has left the gun out and unsecured, not, I imagine most parents don't imagine their child's gonna kill themselves with a gun, but it's got to be mandated to secure these guns because it's, um, you know, it's so easy to secure a, a gun at, from a child and there's just no reason why people shouldn't be, why there shouldn't be legislation to protect children. And that's what I'm fighting for now. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show. You can hear us on any podcast platforms. We want to hear from you. Subscribe and leave a message after you listen. Tell us what you love about Radio Gag and what makes you gag about gun violence. We also urge you to get involved by joining a gun violence prevention group, such as Gays Against Guns, Change the Ref, or Moms Demand Action. Right now, Gays Against Guns is in the final stages of producing a documentary about our organization and work. GAG is a place that nurtures activists and our story is of the resolve to change the gun culture and gun lobby chain of death that resulted in the loss of 49 human beings at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida in June of 2016. Your donation, small or large, adds to the tidal wave that creates change in America. What is our goal? to reduce deaths and injuries from gun violence. Make it your goal too. Thank you. And now we return to our interview with Diana Cochran. Yeah, I, I feel like you're talking about this area of awareness and you know, mm -hmm. we have so many priorities in life, but uh, I have a renewed commitment to uh, be part of raising awareness around these issues. So that people do know, they do have a clue. Um, you know, we need industry safeguards too. You know, something equivalent to the safe, you know, to the, the seat belts that we wear every day when we drive in a car, uh, you know, trigger locks and, and um, there's technology, but really safe storage is such a big way that we can protect youth. And I really appreciate your, your bringing the focus on LBGTQ youth as well, because that is a, a very vulnerable population, especially around inclusion and bullying. Yes, well, I have since learned that they are four, at four times the risk of straight kids. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my son was in a community in Long Island where there, is a, there are a lot of homophobic parents. Uh, and um, so you never know, you know, uh, uh, that children are affected by their peers. And uh, my story completely illustrates that because clearly there would have been no problem about Francesco being bisexual at home, you know, or gay or whatever. He it just, he's going to be loved, whatever. Unfortunately, that's not the same in a lot of households. And that's why I've been lobbying for the federal law, Ethan's law, which is passed, it's more or less in 24 states, and um, it's basically a safe storage law, and I was lobbying for it last week in Washington. And we lobbied Congress, we lobbied the Senate, and um, we also managed to, four of us mothers um, who'd all lost our sons, um, 
and also a woman who lost her two parents from an unsecured gun. Um, we, um, we, we actually had a meeting in, in the vice president's office in the White House last week. And um, so we're really hoping something on a federal level will be done. But in the meantime, I do believe that Francesco's law could be passed and that bill is going to be introduced next year. Help from GLSEN. Here's a note for our listeners. GLSEN is the Gay and Lesbian and Straight Education Network and their programs, materials, and contributions can be made at glsen.org. But anyway, it's an education um, charity that is working with us. They're working with us on a couple of education programs, and um, we're also working with the Yes Institute on awareness of um, bullying, particularly in the gay community, the LGBTQ community. So I'm doing what I can to honor my son and to save other lives for children and families and all our friends who are all so terribly devastated and affected by, you know, by any, any child that loses their life from a gun. It's just a, it's just a terrible, terrible thing to happen in your community and in your family. It is. And it is a beautiful thing that you are doing. It holds the spirit of Francesco. Mm. I want to point out, as you did earlier when we were speaking, uh, that we have gains and we have victories. We now have an office of gun violence prevention mm. in the White House. We Biden is the first president to really use the office of the presidency as a platform to speak out about this tragic American gun culture and the toll that it takes on our society. So there's Ethan's law, which is the one I'm particularly interested in. Uh, my friend Kristen Song lost her child, Ethan, from an unsecured gun at 15. Um, during basically a play date, uh, it's just terrible. And the assault weapons ban, Ethan's Law, Background Check, Expansion Act, and um, equal access to justice for victims of gun violence. And then there's another one, uh, Cory Booker is sponsoring, that he'll be co-sponsoring Break the Silence of Violence Act, and Gun Violence Prevention Research. So those are all really important bills, and um, hopefully, 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 one of them will be passed federally soon. But Wouldn't this be a beautiful Christmas tree of gifts to open? <laughs> you know, and just imagine a sacred place with all of these laws, you know, um, enshrined uh, uh, to uh, to protect to protect. Yeah children, to protect gay children, to make us all feel free and comfortable and safe when we're in public places as well as in our own homes. Oh, and, and a little star on the Christmas tree would be um, the uh, oh, ghost gun legislation that mm -hmm. was brought to the floor yesterday. And of course, the GOP filibustered it and prevented it from being uh, coming to a vote, as they have all of these laws. But even the fact that it was brought up for debate is 
a miracle. No, no it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, 4.6 million children live in homes um, with unsecured guns. And of those 4.6 million, according to um, statistics, you know, Gen Z, um, are now 20% of Gen Z is LGBTQ. So imagine all those vulnerable children. Um, okay. And they are, you know, you know, gay people are not treated the same way as others in society. They are treated, you know, we are treated as second class citizens. And, you know, I certainly encountered it myself uh, growing up um, and you know I don't know what might have happened if I might have had a gun available but I didn't because I grew up in England so there was no chance of me even seeing a gun <laughs> right so. well I so appreciate your uh, talking with us today mm -hmm. uh, being part of this movement to spread awareness but also your lobbying and all that you've been able to do in Francesco's name, in the name of all of our children and protecting especially our LGBTQ youth. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about GLSEN or, or um, anything that uh, comes to mind? Well, certainly once my bill uh, go is, it goes through, I would really hope for some support from your listeners in uh, legislation support and writing to as a constituent to the legislators and um, and also in supporting GLSEN that does great work. It's inclusive work, you know, where that's the way it should be really. People shouldn't be segregated. It should be, you know, people should all mix in together. That's the way I feel. And it is actually like that in Europe on the whole. So, it, and it should be more like that really. People should just be much more accepting yeah, I'm a retired teacher, and I yeah. try to say to uh, each class of the students at least one time, you know, here we are gathered, how many of us are in this room? 30, uh, 30 different minds. Why do we have this? Is there only one piece of knowledge? Each mm -hmm. one of you has your treasure that I hope we'll open up and share together. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you so much for uh, being with us today. And your love for your son is so evident, but also your love for us by bringing forward this legislation. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram, or Gag No Guns on Twitter. We meet once a month at the LGBTQ Center on 13th Street in Manhattan and on Zoom. Please email gagsignup at gmail.com and we'll provide you with a Zoom link and details for our next meeting on December 21st at 7 p.m. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And you can donate to Gays Against Guns. Currently, we are producing a documentary about our work by filmmaker Paul Rowley. You can contribute any amount on our webpage, gaysagainstguns.net. It's time to end our show. Thanks for listening, and we are back with a new episode almost every week. Upcoming shows will feature a series on the economic and social costs of gun violence. 
And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on any major podcast platform. Our shows are also featured on Brick, Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. Please subscribe to our podcast so you'll be notified when the new shows drop. And we end our show with our singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. They're beginning to look a lot less Christian with their walls and bands. No more helping my neighbor out. That's not what they're all about. There's help to pay if you are gay or trans. They're beginning to look a lot less Christian. Marching for white pride. That's the modern day GOP. The party of Robert E. Lee, Lincoln would have died. I guess that turning your cheek is pathetic and weak and lying all day is okay. Helping the needy is stupid. Be greedy. Take their health care away. You heard the tape. They're fine with rape. Now bow your heads and pray. They're beginning to look a lot less Christian. Just as Kavanaugh, that do unto others bit. Was always a loaded boys who take now get to make the law. They're beginning to look a lot less Christian. What would Jesus do? I don't think it is in the Psalms. Tell me how people homemade bombs do they speak for? Speak!